0: United Soccer Coaches is proud to bring you the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast, covering all aspects and all levels of the game we love. The United Soccer Coaches podcast is presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer announcer Dean Linke, the longtime television and podcast voice of the association. Now, here's Dean with
1: this week's show. I am Dean Linke, and this week has been all about college soccer. Hopefully you caught the last Coaching Through COVID webinar on Tuesday. But we talked about the state of Division I college soccer, star-studded field, Ray Reed, the legend for the Yukon men, Jeremy Gunn, who won three straight national championships at Stanford for the Stanford men, Marsha Harper, great energy as the new head coach at American, Brian Lee, great success at LSU, now leading the Rice program, and then also smiling Bob Warming, one of the winningest coaches in college soccer. He's now at the University of nebraska Omaha. And he, along with Ray and Brian and Becky Burley, starting this food drive all. Division One men's and women's conferences working together to run this food drive to raise food for those in need because of this terrible pandemic we're dealing with. It was a great webinar. I want to keep the theme of college soccer going this week on the podcast and we're going to do that by covering D2, D3, Junior College, and NAIA. We start at D2. Samantha Bohan, she's now entering her 14th year at Embry-Riddle down in Daytona, Beach for that D2 women's program. She played at Duke, big-time player, also got an extra degree at the University of North Carolina. Samantha Bohan kicks off the show. Then we go D3, 24 seasons now at Washington University in St. Louis. The top man for the men, Joe Clark, who, by the way, won two national championships during his time at St. Louis University for the Billikens. St. Louis is legit for soccer in this country. In fact, I think it's the real soccer town USA. Then we push to junior college. Hard not to talk to Steve Clemens. Guy's a Hall of Famer, seven-time national champion at junior college. He's getting it done at Tyler Junior College down in Texas. You got to love Steve Clemens. He's on. And then the way. Matt Dunn, Kaiser University down in Florida. They're your reigning NAIA women's national champs. Matt Dunn will wrap up the show. And we get started after this message from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap.
0: Managing your club or league shouldn't feel like a second job. With TeamSnap, it doesn't have to. They help their customers save time and sanity on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with TeamSnap. Go to teamsnap.com n-s-c-a-a-1.
2: I'm Dean Linky. This is the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by TeamSnap. As you heard on Tuesday, we had a webinar with Four division one coaches today we spend time with division two II, division three junior college and NAIA we start at division two and we're so pleased to be joined by Samantha Bohan who has been the head women's soccer coach at Embry-Riddle down in Florida since 2007 this her 14th season on the rise Samantha Bohan thanks for being with us
3: happy to be here thanks for having me
2: yeah indeed now Samantha we want to dig into the state of college soccer and everything dealing with college soccer but before we do that tell us a little bit about yourself where you went to college
4: and how you ended up at Embry-Riddle
3: sure I uh, am originally from Florida and uh, was fortunate enough to go play for Duke University and uh, played there for four years which was a phenomenal experience stayed on and coached uh, as a volunteer assistant coach for two years because I was actually uh, training in, um, with the U.S. national team for the residency program for the 99 World Cup and um, simultaneously got my master's at University of North Carolina in board administration and coached for four years at the University of Tennessee as an assistant coach before heading to Embry-Riddle. And so I'm entering my 14th year as the head coach at Ember Riddle which is in Daytona Beach Florida, my hometown.
2: Alright, great breakdown. You know, I'm we're doing this podcast, I'm living in Chapel Hill, so I was familiar <laughs> with Duke Yeah, with Duke and you and you must have enjoyed your time at both places.
3: Uh, it's a wonderful area. I actually really love the fact that they're both so close. You get to have two really different experiences but it makes that uh, that rivalry really special.
2: Well knowing that uh you came from a D one program and now you spent this time at D two Talk about D2's role for young women because I know it plays a big role.
3: Sure I mean we always talk about that I, I think if you look at our roster, every one of them, I, don't, I think without exception, has offers at Division one. It's really about just finding the best fit and um, whether it's an academic fit, whether it's a, an athletic fit, whether it's a geographic fit, financial fit, Um, It's really offering just another experience for student-athletes that I think is obviously just as valuable and as important. So um, we we have a a STEM sort of program with us with the engineering and flight, and then we have um, psychology and business and some other majors. But, again, it's really just about finding the right fit. But we have found some really remarkable student-athletes that are going on to, to do some crazy things with SpaceX the NASA connection, we have some some grads you know, involved in that. So, again, the Division II option, NAIA, we were NAIA before we went Division II. I just think it's all about finding the right fit and not getting so caught up in the division.
2: Right now, as you know, it's uh, really tough, particularly on the men's side. A couple of prominent programs on the men's side, D1, have been dropped. As we're all dealing with this COVID situation, the pandemic, and how it's affecting college budgets, why is it important to make sure that uh, we keep these programs alive, particularly on the women's side?
3: Oh, man, the, the experience, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm living proof of it. You know, I've been out of school for almost 25 years, but I recall lessons that I learned in those precious four years, as well as the friendships and the relationships. I mean, it really does treat such a, a, a wellness beyond just your sport experience. Uh, I think I, I read somewhere that uh, the women that are at a C-level in businesses, are almost uh, 90% of them have had some sport experience. So I just think that it's really valuable. Um, it teaches teamwork, diversity, inclusion, um, all sorts of life lessons. Literally, I could spend the whole podcast talking about the, the benefits of being a student-athlete.
2: What kind of discussion, Samantha, have you had with your athletic administration about – the status of playing games in the fall, moving forward. What uh, what updates can you give us?
3: Sure, I, I'm very fortunate. Our athletic director at Ember riddle John Phillips, has been very transparent and um, has has actively sought out um, not just my opinion but all of the coaches' opinions, and so that's been really helpful as we try to also answer questions from our student athletes. So, what we know now, and this is today, and it will change maybe tomorrow, but um, we do know the NCA maximum of 14 games um, with the minimum uh, is seven, so that's postseason qualification and sports sponsorship. Uh, for us, we have not voted on a conference uh, schedule yet. I know that there's a proposal that was sent out to our conference coaches, and I think they might be doing that on Wednesday, but we know that we, so far, as of today, it looks like we're going to have a 14-game season. Um, Every institution start date is different within our conference, and we are all in the same state, which is a little bit unique to our our conference. Um, We have 11 members, and we're all in the state of Florida, where I know a lot of other conferences are spread out amongst other states. So it makes it a little bit easier because we're all under the same state regulations, but each university has their own policies and procedures. And So our school is starting on time in person, which is August 24th, and um, I do know that they are having discussions about trying to end in-person classes uh, for the Thanksgiving break and then finishing off virtually. That's not been confirmed, but I know that that's in discussion.
2: Maybe you don't know yet, but what do you think it means as it relates to crowning the NCAA champion in D2 this year? Do you think that's still viable?
3: I, I definitely think so, and, and we've told our team, you know, we always wanted to model a program that kind of bobs and weeds and, and adjusts and modifies as given, whether that's, you know, we've had hurricanes a couple of years in a row. We've had, you know, um, it, you have injuries. You just have to adapt. I mean, that's just the world we live in. It's not going to always be this um, this environment that you can always control. So what we're doing is we're putting our head down, and we're prepared to make the best out of what um, what is given and what is provided. But I, I certainly think it's a viable um, season Again, it's going to be what you put into it. And I know for us and for our conference, we're going to go all in.
2: Explain the D2 dynamic, because as you know, coming from Duke where you had an outstanding career and then going on to get another degree at University of North Carolina, you know better than anybody the impact of big-time sports, basketball and football, and how that affects the budgets of the other Olympic sports. At D2, perhaps it's different. How much does this pandemic affect the overall budget for sports, or does it not affect it at all?
3: No, that's a great question. I think there's still some D2 programs that do have football, and so there is the potential for an impact. It's just obviously not as great as um, the, the big uh, D1 football programs. I think the biggest thing for us at the D2 level uh, and small private school level um, in all divisions is enrollment. So retention and enrollment, I think that will have the biggest impact on budgets. For our school in particular, we are um, looking still strong with enrollment, partly because our school is so specialized and we have a niche. Um, but I think that that's going to be the biggest, um, the biggest factor. I know that the the conference is talking about fiscal responsibility and cost containment measures in light of the enrollment numbers for different institutions. So I think that's going to have the biggest effect at D2, more so maybe than the the football. A
2: couple more questions here with Samantha, the head coach for Embry-Riddle University, D2 women. Again, reminding folks that you had a great career at Duke. You spent time at Tennessee also, D1. 14 years is a long time. That shows me that (laughs) you love what you do. You love where you are, right? So clearly you love D two women's soccer. Yeah,
3: yes, sir. It is it is phenomenal. For me, philosophically, it really matches well. Um, I love the fact that we take it just as seriously as if we were at Duke. We ask the same commitment level. But the difference is there's a little bit more life in the balance, and I think it's been a a wonderful marriage for me and kind of what I'm looking for, the student-person-player aspect. So we at Embry-Riddle are charged with developing all three of those um, aspects, and that's, that's really important to me, to not just be somebody that's, asked to develop our, our players, and embry is just a, a great fit, and we have wonderful coaches and great administration and leadership uh, to enable us to do that. So
2: it sounds like it's about family. You also have a family. You've got a couple of boys. <laughs> uh, United Soccer Coaches has a lot of pride in being a family, being a unifier. What is it meant to be a part of United Soccer Coaches, Samantha?
3: It, it's wonderful. I mean, especially now, I really think that – we are benefiting even more so from this involvement and in, in, in partnership in United Soccer Coaches family, just connecting coaches. There's so many questions. There's so many um, opportunities even to learn and grow. I listened to several webinars that the United Soccer Coaches have uh, have put on, and I just think it's enabled us, as I think Colleen Hacker said, to grow through this experience and not just get through it. And um, the resources that, that – united soccer coaches association provides for all of us has just been uh, invaluable
2: i think it was fitting that you tipped your hat to colleen hacker she is so inspirational before we let you go samantha bohan with all your success at Embry riddle all your success in soccer in general this is just crazy times on multiple levels not just with the pandemic but with the terrible tragedy in minnesota any final inspirational message for everybody
4: listening
3: I echo the same sentiments that Megan Rapinoe said and just challenge us to be better, to start with us individually, to use whatever platforms we have to create positive change, and I think that that's um, more important now than ever.
2: Samantha Bohan. Keep your team safe, keep that wonderful family of yours safe, and thank you so much for all you're doing for D2 Women's Soccer and for college soccer in general, and thanks for being a member of United Soccer Coaches, Samantha.
3: No problem. Thanks for having me.
1: Samantha Bohan, she was outstanding. Speaking of outstanding, St. Louis as a city probably really is Soccer Town, USA. I know Kearney, New Jersey has had some big-time players come out of there, and there's a couple other pockets. But when you look at the rich history of St. Louis, of course, the Billikens have won a ton of national championships. They're hoping to return. They now have an MLS franchise. They've always been big with indoor soccer, St. Louis is a mover and shaker with some of the best players, men and women, to come out of this country. Washington University in St. Louis, Joe Clark, who, by the way, won two national championships as a player at St. Louis with the Billikens. He's been the coach a long time there for the D3 men's program, kind of a pipeline with all the great youth clubs down there in St. Louis as well. Joe Clark, around the corner on the United Soccer Coaches podcast, presented by Team Snap. Being a coach means being a lot of things, mentor, teacher, role model, motivator, leader, organizer. Of course, it's not easy to be all of those things. You need help, and who better to help you than an association of fellow coaches. Membership with United Soccer Coaches includes access to over $500 worth of e-learning courses, an improved online resource library with more than 1,000 activities, session plans and articles, $1 million worth of liability insurance, and a whole lot more. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash join and start your free 30-day introductory membership today. United Soccer Coaches, your association for all things coaching. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by TeamSnap. As you know, this week, the focus on college soccer. Tuesday, the great webinar on the state of Division I college soccer. Today, we're talking D2, D3, junior college, and NAIA. Up next, D3, and we go to Washington University in St. Louis to talk to their top man for the men's program, Joe Clark two-time national champion as a player at St. Louis with the Billikens, where he also coached for several years. He stayed in St. Louis, loves what he's doing at Washington U in St. Louis for so many reasons. We'll get to that in a little bit. But right now, as we know, we're dealing with this pandemic. We're dealing with social injustice, Joe. So as we welcome you in, is there an opening message during these unprecedented and tough, difficult
4: times? It is... A real time to take a look at our perspective and what's important and making sure that we are living a life that is true to our values.
1: Joe, as we know, you were a great player at D1. You coached at D1, but clearly you love your time at D3, Washington U in St. Louis. What makes D3 soccer so special?
4: I, soccer is soccer, uh, and there's a lot of good Soccer players in the United States looking for places, you know, to play. And not everybody uh, can play D1 necessarily. Not everybody is up to that level, but they're still good players. And the kids, the sorry, the players that I'm coaching at WashU, many of them are extremely dedicated to the game. They want to succeed. They're willing to put time in to become better players. They They want to be advancing continuous improvement, as I like to use. And um, they're also really clear-cut in their minds at Washington U about where academics fit for them. So there's no babysitting for me here, um, which is a a nice thing. I'm never going to lose players because they've gone academically ineligible. I have lost players because their GPA dropped to a 3.5, and they didn't think they would get into the medical school they wanted to. But that's a different type of problem.
1: That is indeed. And I realize you don't have all the answers, but tell us what you're hearing from NCAA Division III and perhaps even your conference.
4: It's somewhat encouraging. You know, let's face it. It's a time of uncertainty, and any plans that are put forward are certainly labeled tentative. It's all speculation. Uh, the one thing that every university knows is they, they want to go back towards normal whatever number of steps they can make in that direction that's what they want to do and and so they're taking steps that way they want to return to the student athletes and and the students at large that collegiate experience in the classroom but even beyond the classroom and all that entails and in our case playing college soccer they, they want to give that learning experience that social experience and that joy that we all have from being in the game. So that's what they're trying to do. And we'll see what that looks like as we get into August and September.
1: Joe, knowing you had such great success as a player and as a coach at the D1 level, but you see great programs like Cincinnati and App State get dropped, how does that make you feel?
4: Actually, uh, really kind of irritates me. Um, I don't want to see any sports get dropped. And maybe it's just my perception, but I've always kind of felt that Soccer uh, in the states at the collegiate level was a, a bit of a stepchild, and uh, it, it, soccer is the world's game, and I don't want to see any sports get dropped, i got to repeat that. Uh, and I love soccer, and I don't want to see colleges choose to drop soccer when it's the world's game. And. The world is getting smaller, and our student bodies are getting more diverse and more international, and so many going up in the United States now. It is their game, and they want to be able to play it. And I, I long for the day where every university just knows they have to have soccer team.
1: Joe, a familiar theme both on Tuesday and today was a theme of a shortened college soccer schedule, maybe eliminating conference tournaments with a focus on getting an NCAA tournament in the books, crowning the national champion. Is that a theme that you agree with?
4: It is. You know, just playing a, a, well, getting in any number of games is good. Um, If we decide we're only going to play eight or nine games in a regular season and then use that to determine our typical 64-team NCAA uh, tournament. I I feel I I would be happy if it's better than nothing, and I still think it also changes a bit. I I would love to see the idea of being, you know what, let's create something where on this particular year every team, goes into the tournament. And we will not bother seeding teams. If you happen to be in a city where the five best teams in the country reside, well then you're going to have to make your way out of that city. But make it very localized, very regionalized, and then gradually get it to be a national tournament. It only increases it probably at most by two rounds, and it keeps hope and perspective and reason throughout the entire regular season for every single club, because they would be going into what I would call a, a akin to the FA Cup or the Open Cup that we have in the United States, where, where every single team has an opportunity to win it.
2: I really like that idea, Joe. I think that's worth noting, and we'll see if uh, perhaps some form of your solution right there comes through. That'll be awesome, particularly at any level, but uh, especially for D3. I'm glad that you mentioned region, because... Make no mistake, St. Louis, in my opinion, is the true soccer town, USA. I was lucky enough in college to break in in 89. They were playing, USA was playing El Salvador in a World Cup qualifying game. One of the first people I met was Steve Trichu. I met Harry Keough, Ty Steele. Then I worked under Dan Uh So many great players for the Godfather that have made the pipeline up to Indiana. I mean, St. Louis, the Billitons have won a ton of national championships. You won too as well. Outdoor soccer, indoor soccer, MLS is coming back. I mean, even Dan Donaghan is coming back home. Steve Kitschew back
4: there. It really is Soccer Town, USA, isn't it? Soccer is really big here in, in St. Louis. It, it always has been. And it continues to produce great players, really good players. I, I think that is shown just in the last few years in D1 soccer. And, and, and I don't want to charge into women. I just know the men better. But, you know, we – we had Jack Mayer just, uh, I believe he was the number one draft choice as a sophomore in college in, in the current MLS. And, um, and then you had the young man from Duke going into the draft, uh, in the sophomore year. And you have little John Lynn, well, he's not so little anymore, going up to Notre Dame and, and being their top scorer as a sophomore. And what they've done, and I know I'm giving them a, some kudos here, but the, uh, St. Louis FC in the USL, they, they've had, a lot of their juniors and seniors, particularly the seniors, were at work on their schedule. They were training and practicing with the pro team throughout the spring and in the summer. And so when those guys went off to college, college was a step down or two from the training environment that they had been in. And, and St. Louis, uh, has really taken advantage of that and helped those guys develop and, and they've done a good job in, in their academy, which unfortunately no longer exists. And I think The MLS coming here into St. Louis, being so close down to St. Louis University, the new stadium, I think there's going to be a bit of an alliance and affiliation, uh, integration that has a really positive impact for St. Louis U and their program. I think it's going to help enhance their recruiting and um, who knows. Maybe it's around the corner. Kevin's a very good coach. Maybe it's right around the corner where where that team's knocking at the door and even taking home another title.
1: Obviously there's a million other players I could list from Saint Louis. I gotta give a shout out to Kevin Ropeson who played at Indiana from Saint Louis. But you also gotta think about the Sorber family. I know you're pretty tight with the Sorbers, right, Joe?
4: Oh, my gosh, very close. Got to coach nice when he was in college. And actually, uh, when you mentioned Pete Sorber and before you talked about Soccer City, and I think you referenced Kearney, New Jersey, and, and what a great soccer town that was, um, when they played out in the playground like they did in Kearney and the winners stayed on, it, it drew me back. We had a few different locations somewhat like that. But Pete Sorber, Michael's father, was the coach at St. Louis Community College, Blow Valley. And every Monday night, Everybody in the city went up there to play, and several times a year, it would be 66 games in the gym, and several times a year, uh, it would be a dollar a man, and the winning team, you know, took home the pot, and you had all kinds of great players, and, and it was really fun. Um, and, and Michael was playing there from the age of 12, very similar to Michael Bradley's deal. It's so much about environment. And Michael Bradley was training with Chicago when Bob was coaching there when he was a young boy. Mike Sorber age 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, he is playing with top-level college players out there on that gym floor and then turns out to play for the United States World Cup team. Indeed.
1: In fact, we had Tom Dooley on last week's podcast. He talked about the great partnership between Dooley and Mike Sorber, so I'm glad you mentioned that. All right, Coach, can't let you go without you talking about United Soccer Coaches and what a great unifier it's been, especially during this pandemic.
4: United Soccer Coach Association is doing a great job. And I, I've jumped in on one or two of these things that Ian is hosting where they'll go back to a clinic from a convention, be it 2015, 2016, whatever, and, and uh, Ian, and maybe there might be somebody else with them, but they'll play a segment of the, of the exercises, and then as it steps forward, they'll play the next segment, but w- between segments, Ian and his co-host will make a comment or two, and how the exercise could be enhanced, you know, little bitty things, and they've been really spot on, and uh, it's been a great teaching tool. I can't wait until we get out of this pandemic situation. The flip side of it has been there There are so many incredible webinars that are on right now, and uh, United Soccer Coaches is is one of the leaders in, in providing great opportunity For all of us coaches.
1: Speaking of shout outs, I know you wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about Washington University in St. Louis and the student athlete part of the success there.
4: It has been a a blessing to go there. It is really a special school and um, very high academic school. The the players that you get are dedicated to that classroom and they're dedicated to becoming good soccer players. And, you know, when I was at St. Louis U, I had great student athletes as well, kids that players that were really top notch, guys that are doctors and lawyers now. And I think the thing that kind of separates them is, is that, uh, nearly every player I had at St. Louis U kind of identified themselves first as a soccer player. And at Washington U, they kind of identify themselves first as a student. And you have to learn that when you're, when you're coaching them to make sure they can take care of, of what is absolutely most important to them first and foremost before they're going to be quality for you on that soccer
1: field well said joe clark thanks so much for being a part of today's podcast
4: thanks for having me
1: on up next we talk junior college with Hall of famer the head coach at tyler junior college seven time national champion head coach steve clements
2: Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast, presented by Team Snap. This week has been all about college soccer and the state of college soccer. Of course, on Tuesday we had the great webinar covering D one soccer. On today's podcast, we've got D two, D three, NAIA, and junior college. When you think junior college, it's hard not to think Steve Clemens, the legendary head coach, now in his nineteenth season as a head coach. This man's won seven national championships between his time at Meridian and Tyler, and he is a great friend of the United Soccer Coaches. He has served as the National Chair of the United Soccer Coaches All-American Committee for Junior Colleges. He's part of the advocacy group. The guy is a legend. Steve Clemens, thanks for being on the program. Thank you, Dean. Glad to be here. Well, here's the deal. We're just trying to figure out the state of college soccer because of this pandemic, unprecedented times. Just not a great time in our country indeed, Steve, but... What can you tell us about uh, what you know is going to happen for junior college soccer? Uh, hopefully it's good news. Have you heard anything from your athletic staff?
5: Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, obviously it's, uh, it's so fluid, you know, and I think that the main thing has been, you know, not to, I, I think it's been positive to not make decisions too hastily. You know, if, if you, if you think back some of the people that were closing in, You know april 30 announced and they were going to be out whenever i think that you're seeing now that things are you know changing and 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 for the most part i I guess at some level getting better you know what i'm saying the the mood of the country certainly shifting toward you know kind of plowing through and as long as you can do it healthy and 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 safely then um you know obviously i think everybody wants to play sports and and get back to normal as quick as we can. So I, I think
2: it's uh I think we're headed uh in the right direction. So if we can get off and get a schedule in, maybe it's not the full schedule. One of the things I like about tying you in, Steve, is well, you've had tremendous success not only winning games, but placing players at D one schools that can go on and get an education and even play pro. Knowing that uh you're seeing D one college programs dropped right now, I guess. So where you sit, Steve? How important is it to keep college soccer alive at all levels, particularly for the men?
5: You know, anybody over sixteen right now, Dean, sports. You—that's what it takes to have division, to be in Division One. You got to have sixteen sports. Well, college soccer becomes an easy target because of Title Nine and all of those things. It becomes an easy target, but it—it—it it, it, it shouldn't be because you know if you look at it, Dean. You know, if I'm sitting there with nine point nine scholarships and these teams are carrying thirty people. You know, there's a lot of students that go with that. That's a lot of paying students. You know, when you get 25, 30 players on a team, I mean, that's, there's a, you know, you're, you're, you've got 21, you know, or whatever that are paying to go to school there. And so full, full whatever, and not to mention they're bringing friends, they're bringing whatever you're bringing. It's the, it's what it brings to the college campus. And you know, it's, uh, it's something for students to do. It's, uh, it's just part of the whole collegiate experience, and I think it's important that, you know, if you look at it through the years, administrators can, you, you can argue it either way you want, and, and for a lot of them, it's let's just cut something, uh, but you don't look at the ripple effects that come after. And I think if you really look at uh, the value that it brings, it can bring to your campus, I don't know why you would cut it, you know.
2: Finally, Steve, as uh, we spend just a short time with you, as I often ask you, you know, 19 seasons now, amazing success. I often ask you, Steve, when are you going to just hang it up and just go fishing every day? How are you <laughs> feeling? Does this, does, yeah, does this pandemic affect your mentality, or are you still loving what you're doing and you want to come back even stronger? Uh, I
5: think uh probably personally, uh, we've been doing it so long that it's over 30 years in the business you know I think it's been almost a pause to really really show you how much you appreciate getting to do it it's, it's just you know I still absolutely love going to work every day I love Tyler Junior College I love coaching uh, the athletes and I I uh, I have missed it, uh, and like I say, I think it's taught us greater appreciation. Sometimes, you know, you do it every day for so long, you you know you 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 don't take time to really look at what you're doing and 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 um and appreciate it like you should. So I th- I think it's, it's I think it's been good for me. I'm ready to go.
2: Well, you mentioned appreciation. I can't let you go without talking about how United Sox Coaches. I feel like have really stepped up during this. Covid pandemic, they've had the webinars. They're doing stuff every day, two three times a day. Ian Barker's doing stuff, of course. The coaching through Covid webinars. Now the advocacy groups are doing all kinds of stuff. What is this association meant to you, Steve? Well, I mean, had not they
5: been great through this? I mean, just outstanding. I mean, they have absolutely stepped up. They've taken it head on. Uh They are giving us such good information as far as going forward uh, as programs, as coaches, as athletes. And uh, you just can't thank the United Soccer Coach Association enough for uh, the effort that they've put in. They have certainly been on the front line and tackled
2: it. Steve, you're always on the front line for me. You're always available for me, and I truly appreciate it, particularly with all your incredible success. You're a Hall of Famer in every. way. Keith Clemens, thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Dean, you have a great day and stay
5: safe.
1: I'll do that, Steve, and we'll wrap up the show the Dunny way. Matt Dunn, he's the head coach at Kaiser NAIA Women. They got the national championship last year, and he talks about what he's hearing about getting going. Matt Dunn to wrap up the show when we return. (laughs)
4: Team Snap's awesome. I have five teams on Team Snap. There are no questions asked by the players, the parents. Very easy to use. Very, very, very easy.
6: Simple to use. Everyone, you know, everything's right
5: there. Messages, availability. Boom, boom, boom. I've looked at other at other
4: things, and I think Team Snap sets the bar for this type of team management software. It's the best that I found.
2: Our focus today on the United Soccer Coaches podcast is college soccer. In fact, our focus all week. Remember on Tuesday, we had the webinar with four talented D1 coaches, two men and two women, and of course, Smiling Bob Warming also popped in to talk about how they are behind this incredible food drive, which is just another example of the great work that our coaches are doing on every level as we deal with unprecedented times in so many ways right now. Gee whiz. Well, i tell you what, everybody needs to smile, and when you think about the Dunny way, you're going to smile. The Dunny way is Matt Dunn. He's the top man at Kaiser, Led like Kaiser, the first ever NAIA National Championship just a year ago, and Matt, I know you're supposed to, like, put that in the rearview mirror and focus on, you know, right here, right now, but let's not do that. Remind everybody that you are the reigning national champ because... In this unprecedented time, we need to reflect on positive moments do I not get any better than that, right?
6: No, it was a great year to close out 2019 as national champions, something we'd worked on for many, many years, um, getting so close in 2018, being runner-up, to finally get to the top in 2019 was a great way to close out the year.
2: Well, as you know, Matt, uh, we're covering college soccer this week, the state of college soccer, particularly D1, D1 men, you know you're with the Kaiser Women's Soccer Program, but you know you're a former player. You get it. Let's just start in general. When you see D1 men dropping programs, how does it make you feel, Donnie?
6: Uh, it's you know it's a worrying time um, for for everybody. Uh, I, I think it's more the unknown that everybody's so worried about. Where where are we going to go? And everybody's waiting for somebody else to make decisions or um, at least start to. Put an outline together so we can all kind of then follow or or change a little bit to suit each program or each division. But at this moment, everybody's still just waiting. Uh, there's no no answers from anybody because nobody really knows. It's too early to predict what's going to happen now that restrictions are being lifted in different states. And when you're talking about so many different states, and then we got so many international players across all those divisions. We've got a lot of different things in the mix, not just in soccer. It's every different sport. So it's, it's a real worrying time because we just don't know what's happening.
2: Because you played NAIA, you know the value of NAIA. Before we learn what you're hearing from NAIA, which I understand is not a whole lot, remind everybody why you love NAIA so much for men and women.
6: You know, going back when I was an NAIA player, we're going all the way back to 2003, but I was a 21-year-old freshman. It just gave older people that didn't know where they were going with their lives a, a bit of a second chance. Um, and we're able to bring in older players unlike Division One and Division II. Um, plus, you know, we're able to share that scholarship money around with so many different countries and people in different situations. So the NEI kind of... Um, people look at it as maybe not being as talented, which is not the case. It's just more, there's more opportunities for people that didn't get that first opportunity to go to a big Division One school. Their level of play is just as good, but they just didn't get the opportunity. And now they're able to find a place where they can put their talent to good use.
2: I realize there's not a whole lot of detail, but do your best to share with what you know, even rumors and innuendos. What are you hearing from the NAIA about? soccer this fall and what are you hearing from your folks at kaiser uh,
6: obviously right now there's a lot of task COVID task forces that are being put together um, i'm on the sun conference one that's our conference we got a meeting tomorrow which hopefully will start to answer questions and and be able to put questions forward because you know there's so many different details with each different sport that they're all different we can't just blanket everybody with the same kind of rules um so right now we're kind of just all looking at when we were supposed to start you know late august but we're all looking at that and saying you know is that really a possibility with the restrictions in travel and um what are we going to be able to do with quarantine in players and different things like that um i think before anybody can really make any determination on when we're going to start i think we've got to make sure we have everything in place uh, should somebody, you know, test positive while they're at their school in preseason, what are the protocols? There's so many things that need to go into place before we can say, Hey, let's just start playing on this day. Um, I think they've gotta sit down and then become make a way to become fair across the board because is it fair for let's say us here in Florida to start on our normal day But let's say somebody in California can't start until the end of August. Well then I've had a four week, five week head start over another program that it's not because of their program, it's because of their state. So trying to get an even balance so that everybody can have a good you know, a a good competition and a good start.
2: We're here with Matt Dunn, the head coach of last year's N A I A national champion on the women's side. The guy's been to four final fours in the NIA in the last seven years knowing that Matt do you think looking at a scenario where maybe and I know you said you got the call with your conference tomorrow maybe a shortened season maybe no conference tournament but still trying to squeeze in an NAIA tournament would be good I think we all want to
6: be able to play for the big prize at the end Um, you know, not, not just me as a coach, the players, they, they it's, it, to just play games would not really be fair with no end kind of product. And, and I understand we've got to come, we've got to come together and, and try and balance everything out. And how do we going to do that? Do we have to shorten the season so that we limit travel during the season? And hopefully by December time, everything's kind of on, you know, back to normal, hopefully. Um, But at this point, you know, we definitely want to be pushing not just in soccer. I think every full sport will want to play a national championship. That's why we're all here. Um, So I think if if we have to shorten the season by losing a few weeks at the beginning or cutting down the amount of games in between or just going to conference games only – so that we can then just have a conference winner and they can move on. And and that way everybody still gets a chance to go for the big prize because, you know, these kids deserve at least a chance to go and play for a national championship or to go and retain a national championship. You know, I've got eight or nine seniors this year that, that want to defend their title. And it wouldn't really be fair if they get to miss out, but I understand there's a lot of other big things going on in the world. So we've got to come and try and... Bridge all that together and get to a place where we can still play and it's safe for everybody, and we still get to enjoy the sport.
2: So well said, coming from the top man at Kaiser. A couple plugs here before we let you go. Remind everybody where Kaiser is and what makes it so special.
6: Yeah, we're located in uh, West Palm Beach, Florida. Uh, we we like to say we we live where you guys vacation because it's you know it's a hot spot. Um, we're Five minutes from the beach, um, we're we're in a really nice location, and then you add on top of that our campus, which is growing. We've just built new dorms. We're we're adding new sports, so we're a growing campus, and uh, you know we're looking to to get up into the two three thousand students by 2025, which is if we keep going on this path, we will. Um, with our small class sizes, it helps to create a, a better learning experience for the student. Um, and that's one of the advantage of a smaller school is, you know, the class sizes are only 20 to 30 people and not 200. Um, that's a real positive for us. Uh, we're very diverse in international campus, and that's another selling point for students that want to come and learn about different cultures and that's definitely something we offer.
2: Finally, Matt Dunn, the NAIA has always done a great job standing on their own. You are obviously the NAIA National Coach of the Year, having won it last year. But as an additional resource, what have you seen value in with United Soccer Coaches as an association?
6: Uh, obviously, you know we're getting information through you doing the, the these types of calls and webinars. Uh, we've been able to go on there to get practice ideas. Um, for summer and for when the season should start in case we're still practicing social distancing and uh, it's been a good tool for resources to see how other people are doing things um, You know, and it doesn't matter whether you're a Division 1 National Champion or the NAI National Champion, everybody's got to adapt and learn from each other at this point and I think that the resources that were being provided is, is great for people to learn how to do things in this Difficult time.
2: The Dunny Way. Matt, I appreciate you answering all the questions. You didn't know which ones were coming at you, but you handled it great as always. You handled it the way you handled your team in the national championship game a year ago. The reigning national champs, NAIA women, the Dunny Way. Matt Dunn, thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, sir. Uh,
6: thank you very much. Appreciate it. Hope you stay safe and hopefully we can chat again towards the end and the season's back to normal.
2: That would be great because, you know, if you win it, you're on the show again. That's well, we're going to try to see through the dunny way. Matt Dunn, all the best. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye.
1: I said at the beginning, I'll say it at the end. I am so grateful to be involved with United Soccer Coaches and so grateful to be a longtime broadcaster of college soccer. I love the sport, and I love what it means for the coaches and the players, administrators, everybody involved. And I don't take it for granted for a second. So thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Speaking of thank yous, I always want to thank Michael Knipper, Sean Chevrolet, Lynn Burling-Manuel, Jeff Van Dusen, Erica Dyer, and the great folks at United Soccer Coaches for each and every one of them and each and every one of you. I'm Dean Linke. Thanks for listening to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap.